I'm Dr. Ben Rall. Do you know where the most amazing doctor lives? You may be surprised to learn that it's actually right inside of you. Yet, today's healthcare model is built on a foundation that the greatest doctor instead comes in the form of pills, potions, lotions, even surgery. So listen in, because what if the majority of what you have been told about health and healing is not only wrong, but actually harmful to you? One thing is for sure, when you work with your body and not against it, you'll begin to discover that you are in fact designed to heal. I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Design to Heal. My name is Jeff McLaughlin, your host as always, and with me, Dr. Ben Benrall. How are we doing today, bud? Good morning. Beautiful. Happy New Year. Excited to be here. Excited for today's show. I'm just a little bit excited. Okay. Um, you turned me on to a book called Slanted not too long ago, and uh, it's it's wrecked my life in a good way. And we've got the author here uh, today. Cheryl Atkinson is a an investigative journalist, uh, five-time Emmy Award winner, Radio Television Digital News Association, Edward R. Miro Award recipient, and formerly an investigative correspondent in the Washington Bureau for the CBS News. Like That just sounds like, like the spy work. It just sounds awesome to me. I think that's cool already. I need a title like that. Um, substitute anchor for the CBS Evening News and author of several books, but including the aforementioned Slanted that we love, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and to Hate Journalism. Cheryl Atkinson, thank you so much for being with us here on Design to Heal. Thank you for having me. So Cheryl, you know, I'm just thinking, and I know for sake of time and, and just to make sure for our listeners, we probably, we have a wide variety of listeners, you know, lay public to doctors, to natural health providers, and we're living in these COVID times. And I know one of the first times I really got exposed to kind of your work was back in the H1N1 time, right? And, and, and the H1N1 vaccine and the way that that was dealt with. And I was rereading some of the parts of your book about that today. And you could just insert COVID, right? And it would almost read the same to some degree. But that was, you know, what, 10, 11 years ago now, almost 2009, yeah, am I yeah, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and now to be sitting here, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems like maybe the things you were concerned about back then that led to this book, is, would you, is it fair to say they've only gotten worse from censorship to you know, the word spin is used so much, right? But bias and things like that. What if, would you share with our listeners just kind of your perspective on what's happened in journalism? These are the people that are watching Fox News or CNN or CB, right? They're watching that, trying to learn how to participate in culture and, and life and learn. It influences the decisions they make, but it's really hard to trust this information, right? And I think that they should be cause for that. So I want you to kind of take it from there. I know I asked about five different questions, <laughs> but um, kind of give us your, you know, perspective on all of that. Well, I think you have to start from the point, and this may sound, if you're, this is your introduction to the topic, a little far-fetched. But if you read my previous books or listen to maybe people like you, it's not so far-fetched after all. You have to understand that there's an industry a multi-billion dollar industry that makes its living manipulating the news and information online. And we're talking about social media, Wikipedia, fact checks, you name it. And it's very organized and it's very pervasive and ubiquitous and very successful. So what you need to know is when you see a piece of information cross your path in general on the news or social media or whatnot, you have to say to yourself, who wants me to think this and why? Because no longer is news sort of organically gathered facts on stories of interest to the public. It's material that is put there for a reason by people who have learned how to do it. And if you start looking at everything through that lens, my last book, um, The Smear, talks about the industry. And I interviewed the people who do this for a living, yeah. both left and right and 
those who are nonpartisan, this is what they do. And one of the most chilling quotes was one of them who said to me, nearly every image that crosses your path on a daily basis was put there for a reason by somebody who usually paid a lot of money to put it there. And once you start seeing things that way, I think you start to better understand what's happened to our information landscape. I remember there's a quote, reminds me of a Marsha Engel. She was right, the New England Journal of Medicine editor for like two decades. And I'm going to paraphrase one of her quotes, but she said, I've, it's really, unfortunately, I've had to come to the conclusion after 20 years of doing this, that you really can't trust anything in these medical journals. And again, I'm paraphrasing, right? But she said, it's so much bought and paid and how that process happened that as a consumer, I think what you said, Cheryl, is even for me to have to like, believe that right now I maybe I've been there for a long time being in alternative healthcare and just seeing things it's not so hard for me to believe that but to admit that and 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 to realize that most of the stuff in front of me or or nearly all of it like you said in just traditional mainstream media is nothing is really a form of propaganda probably minimally right if anything glorified marketing which is trying to influence how I think and that's a problem because I'm going to make decisions. We're going to pass laws. We're going to shut down school, you know, right? There's big implications to this. Well, and even more disturbing, the people that we rely on for our expertise, our doctors and public health officials rely on the medical journals. And it wasn't just Dr. Marsha Angel from the New England Journal of Medicine who said, you cannot trust most of what you read in peer-reviewed published medical journals anymore. Yeah. It was the head of Lancet, Dr. Richard Horton, said the same thing. This is commonly known that the pharmaceutical industry and other special interests, they've taken over the academic medical environment. They've taken over the medical journals. They've changed the way they conduct studies so that the negative results that they find may never be known or published. Any positive results may be exaggerated. Um, this is well known within the industry, but not well reported among people who are looking for the facts and think, hey, I'm getting the facts if it was in a peer-reviewed published yeah. medical journal, or yeah. I'm getting the facts if I consult my doctor. You'd like to think so, but even the medical schools, you know, who's, who's publishing and sponsoring some of the medical books or the books that these medical students are trained with, who is sponsoring things at the academic institutions? I have an acquaintance who is a doctor who went to, who left Georgetown University and a practice here to go in the academic setting where he intended to try to sever the medical school from the vested interest because he thought it was harming medicine. Yeah. And after a year, he said, Cheryl, I couldn't even get them to stop sponsoring the lunches. I couldn't even get the universities to keep them out of the small things, let alone the big things they're doing to influence the medical industry. There's, he, he pretty much gave up on it. And if wow. people understood this, um, how pervasive this is, I think they would be a lot more circumspect about the information they get even from public health officials, doesn't mean it's wrong on its face, but a lot of it turns out to be either wrong or conflicted or not in full context. Cheryl, is it, I, I sort of have this idealistic view of the news and the way that it should be. And I'm going, the news should be a place that should be full of truth tellers for starters. And it should be a place where, you know, we can, you know, there's a value placed on investigative reporting and reporting accurately, you know, things how they are. And I don't feel like that is valued anymore in this society. And we've shifted from that. And, you know, is there ever a chance of recovering that? Do you see it the same way? Is that what motivates you? I mean, speak to that if you would. Well, I think we'll have, we're in the middle of a shift and something new will come of it because people still want that. Ordinary news consumers would like to have a place they go, even if they like to watch left-wing CNN or right-wing Fox News when it is right-wing. 
those same people, and I've asked a lot of people over the years, would still like a place they can go, which is more like CNN used to be when I worked there back when it, when it was a news organization, where they can get just a factual recitation of things that happened or investigations that go wherever they lead without forcing views down your throat that a special interest or financial interest wants the public to think. And I think there's a big market for that. There are investors thinking about it. What can they do to encourage stuff like that? There are journalists who want to do that kind of reporting. And there are technical people, and I've spoken with a lot of them over the past six months to a year, who are trying to come up with technical solutions where people can tell the truth and give the facts even when they're off narrative or show studies that maybe powerful interests don't want us to see without fear of being deplatformed. That's the technical challenge, how to invent something that's new, that's outside of this controlled environment that these interests have been so good at figuring out how to dominate. You know, whether it's um, whether it's a news site or YouTube or social media or whatever, which is probably, especially for millennials and beyond, is probably the number one source for where they get their news and things like that. You know, how those are all ad driven. And so there's there's an incentive to, you know, sort of misleading headlines, uh, ideas, whatever. You know, how do you I see that as probably the number one sort of public enemy to good news reporting. Maybe I'm wrong in that. I would love to know, you know, do you have maybe one or two or three things that you say, okay, that very thing that you're talking about over the last six months that you've had conversations on responsible, safe, real, accurate news. Like what are the, what are the enemies that you see to that besides that advertising spectacle? Well, this, this is a little bit chilling to me. I don't see it as just advertising and money driven. A lot of people do. They say, oh, they're going for clicks. They're going for the money. I saw CBS, and this is when I had to start rethinking what I was, how I was analyzing this. I saw them make decisions that were contrary to their financial interests. There are plenty of, let's say, Trump supporters who would click things and do click things that are not being published and that, that are getting censored that would bring a lot of business in. I saw companies making decisions that have to do with something that transcends their own financial interests. And when I saw that, I thought, well, then what's more powerful than a company saying, I need to make money. And I started to realize that there are interests that see media, whether it's social media or the news, as tools to distribute their propaganda and to control in, in ways that we don't see that can get those organizations to say, I don't care whether the news division is going to make money on this or not, because there's a bigger interest at play that has to do with something much larger. And, and we start talking that way and it sounds conspiracy theorist to like to most people. Right. But I, to me, we're jiving here. I mean, every part of what you're saying makes perfect sense real quick before I know Ben's got a question for you here. Could you define, I would just love to get your opinion on that word propaganda, right? As an investigative journalist, what, do, what does that word mean to you? How do and, and maybe how do you see it play out in, uh, in current news reporting? Well, I kind of look at that and public relations or PR sort of in the same vein. When I was in journalism college at the University of Florida, we were taught on a daily basis, you will be barraged with people who will send you information that they want you to publish and they want you to put out a news release, something, whether it's the government or a corporation. And it doesn't mean that that's untrue on its face, or it doesn't mean that it's not news, but we were taught that in of itself is not the news story. If you see something newsworthy in what they've given you, that's only the beginning of your job to figure out what is the story, what is it in context, what is the other side, or are, are there other sides? Too often today, we've allowed ourselves as news organizations to be used merely as PR or propaganda tools for any political interest or corporate interest that wants to get its message out. No longer are we even 
saying to ourselves when it's the right kind of interest, well, let's take a look at this critically and do both sides. We're simply vomiting out the viewpoint or the talking points that they want us to have or allowing them to use our news outlet to vomit out their talking points as if we brought information to the public when it's pretty much the opposite of what I see as a news organization is supposed to do. It makes me, even just hearing you describe it like that, it's much like what you often hear doctors feel like they've become nothing more than, right, an arm of the pharmaceutical industry, right? You come in, it's no longer that I'm allowed to really use my brain and think independently. It's just follow the standard operating procedure, right, and just do what I'm told, and, and, and they give us the drug to give or the vaccine to give. One of the things that I is haunted me since I read your book, and, and of course, I know where it came from, but is when you kept referring to the memory hole, Right. And and we're, of course, where that comes from from the from the book in 1984. But do, is there a best kind of story that you could tell for our listeners, Cheryl, that would help articulate kind of how this plays out? In a, I mean, you gave so many good examples in the book. So maybe pick one of your favorites. Right. Whether it's the H1N1 or when you were asked to do the fair tax story with, you know, Forbes or the income studies and things like that. I think we don't realize that even, I say this as a doctor all the time, right? The quality of the questions you ask is so important because if you're not asking the right questions, you're, you know, the answers you're going to get might be very different. If I'm saying, I remember it being said like this, somebody said, oh, I, um, they said, always ask your doctor three times why, right? It's a good, it's a good thing. I think like you had referenced earlier, when you see that, then ask why, who wants me to see this and why do they want me to see this, right? So when a doctor says, oh, you have diabetes and you say why, and they say, well, because your blood sugar is high. And then the joke is, and they said, well, why is my blood sugar high? And they say, well, because you have diabetes, right? Well, no, we've, we've missed something in there, <laughs> right? And so when you, when you try to articulate what you know through all of your years of, of on the inside and, and I guess a little bit maybe on the outside now or wherever you position yourself, how do you help a person just kind of see how this could play out in the news they're going to see on a Tuesday night? You know, big news tonight, obviously, we're sitting on the day of the election in, um, in Georgia that's going to be going on. So there'll be a lot of news going on. Um, how do you tell, what's a great story or narrative to ride that term for a minute uh, that you try to help a person see this as it plays out? Well, there's just so many, and I don't know how specific you yeah. want to be with the memory hole, but let's use the Hunter Biden story with his conflicts of interest or alleged conflicts of interest with his dealings with foreign nations. It was actually the left-leaning press, I believe Politico and some others, that did some great investigations revealing this a little over a year ago in the left-leaning press at a time when clearly there was some competition among those on the left as to who was going to be the nominee for president among the Democrats. So they were willing to take on Joe Biden and his son at that time because this was the left sort of arguing and positioning among itself. Then all of a sudden, months later, fast forward to word about uh, Hunter Biden's laptop allegedly being confiscated by the FBI and these investigations going on, and now his father is the Democratic nominee. And those who are asking the same questions that were raised in this very good, quite frankly, uh, left-leaning reporting in these outlets, now we're told you're a conspiracy theorist, tinfoil hat nut to ask these questions about these debunked things that were never debunked. In fact, were unearthed originally, again, by the left-leaning press, but that all went down the memory hole. Nobody talks about that that had been, again, unearthed by those kinds of journalists. And now we're to believe because a new reality is set every day, much like in the novel 1984, the hapless protagonist, Winston Smith, rewrites 
the facts of the world in real time, depending on how the powers that be want it to be seen, in this case, Big Brother in the novel. So now the rewritten script for all of it is, if you have a question about Hunter Biden, you're a conspiracy theorist, not about a debunked story, which doesn't at all jibe with the facts. I can talk about um, with coronavirus and the intelligence agencies some months back saying that it looked like it may have come from the Wuhan lab. And we know that the Washington Post published State Department emails that showed they warned a year in advance that this research we were funding was being conducted with that coronavirus in such a sloppy fashion that the State Department people who inspected the lab said it risked that there could be a release. First, it could cross into humans and there could be a pandemic. Exactly what happened But that went down the memory hole. And anybody who asks the most logical question, did this indeed happen, is told in this rewritten, you know, alternate universe that you're a crazy conspiracy theorist nut if you ask the question about something that they say is debunked that was never debunked. And poof, it's just been gone. I was looking in about two weeks ago because I'm going to be reporting on this. Whatever happened to the conclusion? Don't we, the public, deserve the answers as much as the government knows about where this came from, even if it leads to a dead end, don't we deserve updates and don't we deserve to know? And that's just evaporated off the public stage. I don't see reporters asking about it when there were White House briefings. It just went away because powerful interests did not want that on our information landscape as much as the rest of us may wonder about it. I think this, and again, maybe this is such a, a cliche. One of my old em- employees was a um, one of her f- first jobs, she was a news, a news anchor, like on a local news. And, and she, I just remember one day and I was, this was all kind of new to me. And she goes, she goes, Ben, do you think there's more suicides or murders? All right. And maybe this is just like one Oh one in your world, but I just, I don't know. She asked me, said, I don't know murders. Cause that's what you see. Right. And that becomes that, like you said, it shapes our reality. And she says, well, no, it's far more suicides. You just don't see those on the news. That's not what's sold. And I, so I think as we, you know, scroll through our, our phones, whatever our favorite, you know, feeds are, we make the assumption, much like when you said earlier about the, the studies that aren't published medically that showed negative, you know, a great example is the antidepressant studies that were done. Ben got a great reporting on this. Majority of the studies done on antidepressants didn't show benefits at all, showed negatives, but those never saw the light of day. So all that, you know, that we see is the one study they want us to see, then that frames our reality that all antidepressants are good all the time, you know, and I'm being, I'm generalizing here. So I think when you, when you say that about the narrative and using coronavirus as an example, things we heard in March or April, and then those get thrown down the memory hole, what I would want a listener to think about is you may not even have noticed it. It's just no longer talked about. So you made the erroneous conclusion that it didn't matter anymore or that it was debunked or that it was answered, or if it was really that important, they would have told me, right? And I think there's just these built-in assumptions, or I think one of the words that you used is unintended biases, right? You know, we understand the intended biases, the real hard, obvious spin. I think the ones, like you said, that are harder to pick up and maybe even harder, whether it's even the person reporting it or the person listening to it is, it's a little more mysterious to see those unintended biases. Can you kind of, you know, as we kind of wind down here, can you articulate that, that, piece of it for a listener say, how do I be a good consumer then, right? How do I be a good consumer of news information and maybe some best practices? I know at the beginning you said, you know, who's showing me this and, and why, but we all have such busy lives, right? That it's hard. I mean, I say as a doctor in alternative healthcare, sometimes it's easy for me. I get to do this all day long, right? I get to talk and learn about natural health and natural healing. I don't have a, a day job sitting at a computer, you know, selling mortgages. And so I, for that person, I feel for them, right? They don't have that time. So do you have some 
I hate the word hack necessarily, right? But do you have some thoughts or some guidance or some encouragement for just Joe listener, right? That doesn't want to be manipulated, but also wants to be educated. And, and maybe there's not an easy answer for that, but maybe you have some, some suggestions. Well, I will tell you that you're exactly right when you say people don't have the time to do what it now would take to feel more confident in the information you're getting. That's what we in the news, I do that on my Sunday program, Full Measure, every week. That's what we used to do to make it where you didn't have to seek original sourcing because who has the time for that to figure out what's going on? But in this interim period, before there's something better, partly that's what I recommend you're going to have to do on subjects that are important. And I do that by going to C-SPAN if I want to see, if I hear something about a hearing that took place or a news conference, C-SPAN covers a lot of stuff and you can find their videos. And when I watch them in context and in full, almost all the time, my takeaway from the event is different than what I heard reported on the news, yes. which mm. should tell you, should really tell you something. When you hear some prevailing narrative, no matter how many people are reporting it, no matter how many sources they say they have, it's often not the case that what they're saying is true or in accurate context, or there's maybe more to the story. Um, I also, in the last chapter of Slanted, I give some specific names, yeah. reporters, you know, some recommended by some of my colleagues, who can you trust on certain topics? And it's a little more complicated than saying, go to this news outlet and you can believe everything that they report. It's not that easy. It's looking for a reporter on a particular topic. I recommend Glenn Greenwald, who is very left-leaning, but on topics like we're talking about with accuracy of news and challenging government narratives. I recommended some conservative-leaning uh, journalism and journalists on other topics. It's up to you to find. And then I, I mentioned at least a couple that are considered fairly down the middle on national security. I mentioned David Martin at CBS and Pete Williams, very well respected at NBC, even though he came from a political background, as reporters that are recognized, at least in our industry, as those that stick to the facts and don't don't seem to be trapped into pushing the narrative of the beats they cover or the corporations or the political interests. And, you know, that's kind of what I do for my sourcing. I develop a core and I've been doing it a long time. So at least I have a core of people I know I can trust whose information has proven to be accurate over time. And I can keep dipping back into that well um, when I need to vet something or look for accuracy and kind of see where the weather vane spins. So, and oh yeah, sorry, Cheryl. That's just, that's the best I can do for now. When you, when you sit here and you look back at 2020, <laughs> is this, is this the craziest year of journalism that you've ever seen? Or is this just, it got, you know, you've known it for a long time. You're like, oh, now the rest of the world has seen it play out at a little larger scale. I know like, like Dell, Big Truth of Vaccines talks a lot. Now we're just seeing the sausage being made. I think he uses that example sometimes, right? We never saw how vaccines were approved and tested and rolled out and all this. And so it always has gone that, well, not entirely with this COVID vaccine. This one's been unique, but it is, the world is seeing things that maybe have always been done. Was 2020 unique. And is there, as a, the consumer, my wife and I were talking this morning as I, we were getting ready for the, to this show as well. And I just said, you know, I feel like when we were kids, honey, and we say this all the time, right? Like it just didn't seem as intense, like getting in trouble as a kid was like staying out late. You know what I mean? Or, or I don't know, sneaking out and playing kick the can now, like you can get in real trouble. You know what I mean? And I don't know if that's just an over rosy memory of being a younger kid in that era, but is as a journalist, did, would you say it is it's gotten really bad. I don't want to be a doom and gloom, but I also want a person to know the risks with it, right? So if you're being a heavy consumer of mainstream media, 
it's likely you're being misled very deeply. Is that a fair statement to say? Yes. And I would say that as bad as 2020 was, I put the whole four-year period, really early 2016 on through 2020 in the same category. When you look at how the 2016 elections and campaigns were covered, which was along the lines of as bad as it is today, when you look at the Russian narrative that so many from the New York Times, the Washington Post, to all the networks covered wrong because they didn't follow basic journalism. They abandoned the normal ethics and guidelines and standards that would have required them to get the other side of the story, to do a more full and rounded uh, recitation of the facts, to not take these anonymous sources that kept providing incorrect information over and over again and keep putting them on you know, as, as news sources. All of the things they did that violated pretty much everything that used to be part of good journalism. This, this was very evident starting in the 2016 time period. Even though there was a slippery slope moving toward that before then, I really think it accelerated in 2016 with the entrance of Donald Trump on the stage, who was uniquely dangerous to vested interests in both political parties as well as corporate interests in the, in the pharmaceutical industry, you name it. So that accelerated it. And then it also accelerated these interests who've been very successful at controlling the narratives on the news. It accelerated their desire and their desperation to control online as they've done since, because they saw, boy, as much as we've been able to control the narratives on the news, people can still go online and get open access to all kinds of information we don't want them to have. How can we attack that nut? And that's what they've spent the past four years doing. And that's where it really, where we just start to feel it so much more in our daily lives, right? Watching our feeds happen, or as you said earlier, being deplatformed or censored. I've got many friends, of course, that that's happened. Sure, we've been so thankful to have you on today, and we thank you for your time. Is there a, I know you talked about your Sunday show, right? Um, what's the best way for listeners to stay, obviously, read that book? And I, I was looking at that end chapter today, the, res, the sources you suggest, right, to I say this with a person with their health sometimes. Sometimes they first learn about, you know, wellness or taking care of themselves and they go, man, this seems hard, right? Like, huh, it seems like a lot of work, Dr. Ben. I just want to like keep living my life like I've been living it. And I say sometimes, you know, ignorance is bliss, but it's deadly, right? So I hear you and I wish, like you said, it would be great if we could trust our news, right? It'd be great if we could trust pharma and those types of things. They've been proven to be untrustworthy at this point right now of, of where we sit. So it is a time where we have to put our thinking caps on and, and, um, and be, and we do have to take the time. It, it's big enough issues, right? It matters enough from whether it's politics to our own health, to our families, to our future of this nation. And so what's the best ways to follow you and to stay in touch with you for the listeners? Well, you, I try to cross post most of my work, whether it's fullmeasure.news, my TV shows online also at fullmeasure.news if you don't have a TV station. But at cherylackison.com, I try to cross post what I write at Real Clear Politics and The Hill and Epoch Times and Just the News so that you can find it all there. But every day, there's a way to turn this into a positive. Please. <laughs> every day, the censorship is giving us hints as to what to really look for. So when you see a prevailing narrative, as I've already said, think to yourself, don't just believe it at its face value. Say, who wants me to think it and why? But even more so, these labels, if someone fact checks something that says, you know, in the headline, you know, you know where it's going to end when it says stuff like, is Donald Trump correct when he says blah, 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 you know, they're going to say he's not, right. whatever it is. That's your cue. 
That should be used when there's a Twitter label on something saying it's not true. When a fact check is conducted on something that they think is so important, they don't want you to believe it. That's when you say this may be true. It may be the opposite of what they're telling me. And it's really important to them, whoever these powers are, that I not believe it, that I not look at it. So therefore, that should cue you as the information consumer. I need to look at it. I need to research that. There's something very important going on that they don't want me to know about. That's a really good, I, I often say that. And again, I'm going to get a little bit on my soapbox when I tell patients like, well, what do I do in, in health? I say, well, a really good start is stay away from it, right? You know, stay away from it. It's a dangerous model, right? And that's a mind blow for some people, right? But even it is so, I love that. Like if it says um, probably untrue, that might be a good thing to you should read that as you should read that as might be true but they think it's harmful if you know about it yeah that is uh we've we've really loved having you on thank you for your book thank you for your work and your bravery and and your courage although you probably don't like to be considered that it should just be normal journalism right it shouldn't have come down to this but thank you for your work that you do and have done and will continue to do god bless thank you for having me i appreciate it If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star review and share it with your tribe. To learn more about Dr. Ben's work, visit AchieveWellness.clinic.